Healthcare Unfiltered, a Shadi Nabhan podcast. This is your host, Shadi Nabhan. I'm a hematologist and a medical oncologist, and I have interest in all aspects of healthcare delivery, treatment, leadership, mentorship, and policy. And today, you are in for an absolute treat. I am interviewing one of my favorite writers and photographers. Dr. Chris Arnadi, I got to actually know who Chris was when I bought a book that he wrote called Dignity, Seeking Respect in Back Row America. I read that book in late 2019, beginning of 2020, as the pandemic was actually starting. You must read that book. I promise you that you will love it because it gives you a real insight into real America. Chris is actually a writer, a photographer. He has written for The Atlantic, The Guardian, The Washington Post, New York Times, Financial Times, Wall Street Journal, a lot of places. He writes for Substack right now. And he has a PhD in physics from Johns Hopkins and actually worked after that in Wall Street as a trader for, uh, for, for years until 2012 when he decided to leave and start doing what? Walking America and walking the world. Why did he decide to walk America? Why did he decide to walk the world? What did he observe? All of this on today's podcast, Healthcare Unfiltered. I really invite Chris to to know a lot about him, but more importantly, how did the walking America um, shape his views about politics as well as his views about the COVID-19 pandemic? Trust me, This is an episode that you are going to enjoy. It's an episode that you're going to be so fortunate to listen to Chris Arnadi on Healthcare Unfiltered. Before I air this episode, do not forget to find my podcast anywhere you find podcasts. Rate it, subscribe to it, and write a brief review. For that, I would be forever grateful. And make sure you refer a friend or a colleague to the podcast. That will be uh, wonderful. You can watch all of my podcast episodes on YouTube, Shadi Nabhan and Healthcare Unfiltered. You can also uh, reach me on my website, uh, www.shadinabhan.com. Without further ado, Chris Arnadi on Healthcare Unfiltered. Well, folks, I, uh, it's really um, an honor of mine to uh, host Chris Arnadi. Hopefully, I did not. Did I say that uh, correct, Chris? You, you got it right. Congratulations. No one else gets it right. I know. That's I, think I, I get a few brownie points. I um, really, uh, I am just, uh, um, I just was telling Chris before we went on the air how much of a big fan I am since reading his book, Dignity, that uh, I bought, and it's uh, here's an amazing story that we're going to talk about, and we're going to talk really about his story, uh, especially during a two-year of a pandemic, and 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 how he walks America, and all of the stuff that he actually does. But Chris, before we we start, I am um, very fascinated by your background uh, that I got to learn when I read your book, Dignity. So so tell me a little bit about you. You you have a PhD, you work as a trader. Just tell us a little about your personal story, and then how did you end up making a decision you're going to walk America and the world? 
<laughs> um, I, I wish I had a neat ex explanation for everything, but I'll give, I'll give the bare bones outline. Um, grew up in a small town. My father was a Jewish immigrant who came from Germany, um, ended up in the South and a small Southern town during the sixties and seventies. Um, my mother was a farm girl from Michigan. Um, they met, they had a family of seven kids. I was the last of seven. And we grew up in a very strange situation where my, we, we traveled all over the world. My father was very, um, very explory. Um, all seven of us would go all over the world. He dragged us all over the world to all his crazy places. And that kind of, I guess, instilled in me something of a, a desire to kind of, you know, be a curiosity. But I was always good at, I was one of those kids who was kind of always good at math, um, just came naturally. So I ended up, I know it sounds crazy to say this, but I guess my path of least resistance, I ended up with a PhD in particle physics. Um, you know, it's just one of those things you just kind of, you just do because it's just natural and easy, uh, you know. Um, I know it doesn't sound easy. PhD in particle physics, that doesn't strike me as easy. Um, well, you know, it's, in some senses, it was easier than dealing with people, right? So you can just kind of, you, get, you lose yourself in the numbers and you play these games and lo and behold, you got a PhD in physics. But I was really kind of, there's something about it that just wasn't fitting with me. And that was the people part, which I really wasn't around people. And I was kind of a, kind of a lonely pursuit in some ways. You, you're kind of sitting there in, in a room playing with equations and, um, and to be honest, I wasn't particularly great at it. Like to be, so I have a career in particle physics. You have to be really, 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 really good about it. And I wasn't really, really good at it. So I ended up on Wall Street. Um, they liked people who they were at the time, this is 93, um, straight out PhD program. They're hiring people. They had just started hiring people with math degrees to do what now is called rocket scientists. And I guess that's kind of a now a thing that people know now, but then it was kind of, there weren't many of us there doing it. Why I ended up on Wall Street, it's not really clear why. I mean, I was just kind of searching for things to do. I did hurricane research for a while. I was just playing around and, and somehow, you know, they, they were willing to pay me a lot more money than I ever thought I would make to kind of play with equations again. Um, but also there was something really nice about the immediacy of it. Like, you know, as somebody who had been working on problems all my life that were never solved in some ways, it was kind of nice to, you know, work on problems that had tangible results. Um, and I ended up a bomb trader and um, I did that for, uh, so if you've ever seen the movie, The Big Short or, or um, read the book, The Liar's Poker. I actually went to the firm that Liar po Solomon Brothers at Liar Poker is from. And so that was kind of the, my life for 20 years. Um, but I never really kind of lost the things my father had and my parents had given me, which was this kind of natural curiosity. Um, and so I often did these extraordinarily long walks when I was um, working in Wall Street. It was just kind of what I, on Saturdays and Sundays on my days off when I wasn't working. Um, sometimes, you know, early on before we had kids, my wife and I would go take the subway to the end of the line and walk home, you know, in Manhattan, in, in New York city, sometimes, you know, 15 mile walks, 12 mile walks. And then my wife kind of got bored of it. And I started just doing it myself. Um, and also being kind of a geeky guy, I, I kind of started having to do these walks with intentions of like, I, I, I tried to walk the entire New York subway system above line, above ground. So I went to the end of every subway with the terminus and walked home. 
but and then over time why, those walk why like you just wanted to walk like what um i like walking you know walking is my is kind of always been my kind of uh, uh you know it's it's when i think it's how i explore it's kind of my kind of i guess some people you know do yoga um some people jog i always kind of just found walking to be very therapeutic and the walks ended up you know, as, as my career kind of changed in Wall Street, and as I became disillusioned with Wall Street, and we can talk about that later, but um, kind of the big changes that were taking place and kind of as, as you meet, reach middle, middle age, and you start wondering like, you know, okay, so I'm making some money, but like, what's the real point of all this? The walks kind of started taking on more of a kind of meeting people. Um, and so along these walks, I'd meet people. Um, and that really changed when I got a camera. Um, someone gave me their old camera, like in 2007. And, uh, you know, the, the camera just, I started taking pictures of some of the things I saw on my walks. Um, and that kind of became an entry point to talk to people. People would ask me, I, I was off in these neighborhoods where I was, you know, clearly an outsider. I was either the only white person, you know, or, or what have you. And so people would naturally ask me questions. <laughs> Then ask, we would talk and they'd ask me to take their picture and they would tell me about their life. And then soon the walks evolved and kind of into this kind of almost like, you know, just this new way of learning away from the, you know, I'd been spending all my life learning from numbers, learning from kind of books. And now I was kind of like out there just talking to people and kind of letting events take me wherever they took me. And so the walk stopped having a real point. <laughs> Like they just kind of, they became, if you looked at a map of my walks, they used to have like, you know, start here, end here with kind of the, the most logical path in between. And then eventually it became almost random walks where I just kind of went wherever events took me. Um, and they took me into things like I got really interested in people who keep pigeons on their roofs. Um, you know, you go into these neighborhoods and there's people keeping pigeons on their roof. And it became, I, I really got into that. I started talking to them. I got into you know, these Mexican bars where, you know, where I'd meet people who were very different from me, um, but were also very welcoming of me. Um, and so I started spending lots of times in the, in these kind of Mexican bars where, where these guys who, you know, have left their family to make money and, you know, live 10, 10 to like a, a, a building where they go to kind of, you know, to, to let loose after all their stress of working so hard. And, um, and so it kind of took me into all these weird places. Um, and as that happened, I became more interested in that. And then I kind of got less interested in my job on Wall Street. Um, and eventually I, I quit my job on Wall Street um, because <clears throat> eventually those walks took me into a neighborhood, Hunts Point, which is, you know, it's known for all the wrong reasons. It's known as one of New York City's poorest neighborhoods. It's known as having high crime. It's known where there's a lot of prostitution. It's known where there's a lot of drugs. And kind of the group of people I ended up spending time with eventually was homeless addicts, um, heroin addicts, um, junkies, whatever you want to call, whatever negative term you want to call them, people who live under in abandoned buildings, under in cars, under bridges, um, kind of a you know, ad hoc, but I, what, what, what is basically a street family of about 30 to 40 um, long-term um, users, you know, um, dealers, <clears throat> um, prostitutes, you know, that's the, they, they, I use the term they call themselves, they call themselves prostitutes, they don't call themselves sex workers, and um, ended up spending roughly three and a half to four years kind of 
quote, documenting, becoming friends with them, but also, you know, documenting through photos and essays, kind of what, what their life was like. Um, and then from there, partially due to burnout, because, you know, when you're that close to that much pain, it can, it can really, it can really um, impact you. Um, I ended up basically, and also intellectual curiosity. I kind of learned all these things I saw in Hunts Point that I wanted to know if they were true in a broader way. Was this Hunts Point was this kind of like more universal truths? So, um, or to put it in a geeky math term, was what I learned in Hunts Point translationally invariant? Was it true in Pittsburgh? Was it true in Oakland? Um, was it true in LA? Um, and so I. <laughs> I got my family van and I ripped the back seats out and put a bed back there. And I drove 300,000 miles around the country kind of doing similar things in, in similar, in similar, similar parts of the country. Um, all with my family's approval, you know, I, I would go off for four weeks and then come back for a month, go off for a month, come back for a month. Um, you know, and, um, kind of, you know, was, was doing something of a, I guess an academic term, something of ethnography, I think is what it's, you know, they call it of basically immerse, you know, immersing myself with a group with people who um, are have pretty rough lives and are pretty much on the, on, on the bottom fringe people that I think people in healthcare know as kind of, you know, <laughs> people who are in the emergency room a lot um, and use the emergency room as primary care. Um, you know, and I was in and out of hospitals a lot, um, visiting people who were in and out of hospitals, um, Lincoln Memorial in particular, what they call stinking Lincoln <laughs> up in, um, and, um, and McDonald's a lot in churches a lot and in, in, in and out of, uh, Rikers to visit people. So, um, it was kind of a, you know, uh, unique, um, path, I guess, but for me, it made a lot of sense. Um, and then it resulted in the book Dignity that you, you talk about, which is where I try to write up what I did. And then I took basically, uh, after writing Dignity, I took a year off, um, stopped doing it and uh, try to re-evaluate re what I wanted to do. And then COVID hit. And uh, I did what everybody else did, which was kind of bunk, buckle down and sit here to the degree I could sit here. I was very fortunate that I could basically... Um, sit in my room for basically six months. Um, and then once I got vaccinated, I kind of um, had decided what I wanted to do, which was, um, you know, um, go back to walking. I had done, I had pivoted to doing a lot of what I did was it via my van. Uh, I was you know, driving everywhere. And I, I would walk in the, the cities I was in, but I realized I'd gotten kind of lazy in some sense and I was relying more on the van. I realized that what I wanted to do was actually walk go back to the original model of walking because that's where you're, you really learn. You really learn a lot because you're forced to deal with situations. You, you, know, you When you walk across Orlando, for instance, you have to deal with situations that you could never imagine. And you, you deal with people you, you didn't, you, who, who are not easy to deal, who not easy to find necessarily. And so I've been doing this now where I'm doing this thing of, I'm just literally walking um, roughly 12 to 13 miles a day. Um, I had, I had thought about maybe, walking across the United States, but I, I find walking through cornfields really boring. You do it once. I'm not sure what the point is. So I'm kind of driving from town to town. Um, and then once I go to town, I just spend a week or two weeks just walking the town you know, or three days, just literally walking across the town. 
And I'm doing that also now across the, across the world. I, I just got back from Kiev where I spent two weeks walking Kiev. I mean, literally walking across Kiev multiple times, um, you know, 15 mile walks um, over the bridges, up over the rivers, et cetera. And I've seen, uh, I've seen a lot of your um, Twitter photos um, in Kiev. I'm going to talk about the international piece uh, in a little bit, but um, if it's okay, Chris, I want to just take, go back a little bit down memory lane. And okay. I want to talk just a little bit about Wall Street a little bit, mm-hmm. because, um, you know, uh, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a hypothetical guess, which I don't think when you started Wall Street and you finished your PhD in physics from Hopkins, you did not think you're going to be spending your life walking the world. Uh, that is correct. Yeah. So that, that's a good guess on my part. Hallelujah. But in Wall Street, you spent two decades and, you know, I, I presume you were handsomely paid and, and, and you did well. It, it seems as it's, a, it's a tough, like what happened? Were you just burned out? Like, is this, it's a tough, uh, it's a, such a change in lifestyle from Wall Street um, and probably more of a cushy lifestyle than, than what you're doing now. Did something happen during your Wall Street that made you say, okay, I'm done with this, fed up with Wall Street, and I'm just going to do something completely different? Um, there is no one instance. I think, I think, um, I think there are two things. Um, one is I'm very, you know, me and my, I always say that me and my wife never really escaped grad school. Even when we were in Wall Street, we lived relatively simply. Um, you know, I mean, you know, we had a really, we ended up by, um, by, by luck, as well as a citrus ended up having a really nice apartment, but, you know, it was never something where we like splur. I always had a minivan, you know, I've never, I think I splurged when I bought a new minivan. Um, but I've never had nice cars, you know, I've never really, I, I, I honestly, at a personal level do not enjoy luxury. Like I, 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 you know, sometimes when I give talks, I really ask and uh, people think it's kind of an affectation, but it's really like, they, they want to put me up in a nice hotel. Like, please can I just stay like in a motel six? <laughs> like, you know, like I much prefer that, you know, I, I don't feel comfortable with, I, I've been, I'd rather be in a cheap motel than a uh, luxury motel. I really would at a personal level. So there was always, so, so in some senses, well, well, why is that? Like, do you think like, is there like, you know, it's like if you tell random person that you want to stay at the four seasons or at motel six, I would say maybe 99% of people say four seasons. Like what, what do yeah, you, you know, I mean, I've always wondered why, I mean, like it's, I, it's just something that like, I'm never partly it's the people I'm never comfortable around. I've never been comfortable around people who have a lot of money. And, and that's, that sounds crazy for someone who worked on Wall Street, but like, you know, um, you know, I, it was kind of one of those things where I grinned and bear, I, I have, I still have some great friends in Wall Street who are very wealthy. <laughs> um, so, you know, it's not like a hard, fast rule, but like, you know, I, there's something that's kind of, to me, I, I really am much more comfortable in Applebee's than I am kind of like Le Bernadette. <laughs> like, I mean, you know, it's just, to me, there's, it's more relaxing. It's more genuine. I, I enjoy, you know, I enjoy the company more than I do with people who I feel like have a lot of, um, that's not to say I don't like intellectuals. I absolutely love intellectuals. I'm, you know, I'm unabashed intellectual. I, you know, I read when I'm walking, I listen to the Iliad, you know, I like, you know, I, I go to operas, but 
but that doesn't mean I like to necessarily, you know, be around people who I feel like are very uptight and have a lot of, a lot of are, are working to display or showing off who they are um, and making a lot of small talk. I'd rather just hang out in a bar and talk about the, you know, talk about the NFL. Um, Cause I think, that, I think within a lot of those conversations, there's a lot more going on than people realize kind of the small talk at Applebee's has a lot more depth to it than people realize. But also, I mean, I, again, I'm not really sure it's something, but maybe the way I was raised, um, so, you know, I mean, so there, the transition wasn't that hard um, to, to, to go to where I am now. Um, I do spend less than I, I've ever spent before. Um, I, I, you know, I, like I said, I'm, I'm relatively cheapskate. Um, but um, there, there was no one instance where I think, I think the financial crisis was, you know, the industry on Wall Street changed. Um, it went from being kind of these smaller firms like Solomon Brothers, that was kind of, um, you know, you had a partnership mentality and there was a real sense of ownership. Um, and, and, the, and the people involved were often a lot of characters because it wasn't as highly credentialed. You had, there were people there who were former, auto, you know, who were just street smart, who were kind of former, you know, there was a guy who was like, a, you know, a former elevator repairman who was just like a, he was a really street smart guy. Like, People, you, you know, you know, the kind of people you meet in kind of like marketplaces across the world, just kind of natural traders um, who don't have a lot of hot, a lot of education. Um, and then it moved to kind of a highly credentialed big firms. And that just kind of was working in a big organization. It just wasn't fit, fit, didn't fit me. But also the financial crisis was a big deal. You know, <laughs> you know, prior to the financial crisis, you know, to the degree I was thoughtful about it. You know, I was a young kid. I was trying to make money. I had a family. I was had kids. Um you know, if you'd asked me like in 2003, what was like, you know, what's, what's up? Why are you doing this? And I would have said, look, you know, it's neither, neither, it's neither morally good or morally bad. It just is, you know, it's just, it's benign. And it's, it's not like, you know, being cosmologist doing particle physics is this noble thing. It's pretty selfish too. <laughs> you know, you're sitting there doing something that's kind of very, you know, just very, very, um, very selfish learning about the universe. And like, it's not really, you're not really doing quote public good but after the financial crisis it was pretty clear that we fucked up and it was wasn't just this morally neutral thing it was a pretty bad thing um and so you know i i kind of had expected a lot of the other other people in the industry have had the same realization like wow we really fucked up <laughs> you know what are we going to do here what are we going to do about it and that wasn't the case a lot of people kind of were in much more denial and they looked at the financial crisis like what do you mean we didn't do anything wrong <laughs> it's the poor people that did something wrong they shouldn't have borrowed money from us you know and so that was kind of a very dis that was kind of one of these kind of like okay there's a big kind of almost a quantum leap between like i i just kind of took a step down and going okay this is not for me um and I wrote it out for another four years for a variety of reasons of out of laziness, out of like, you know, the reality that my kids were still school aged and still going through things. And, uh, you know, and, and like I said, the money was pretty good. So, um, but I, I was over that time pivoting to kind of getting away from the treating it like a day job and not really putting a lot of effort into it and moving more towards kind of the walks and kind of, um, you know, doing some things personally, um, and kind of, kind of mentally thinking about what was next, you know, and trying to kind of disengaging from Wall Street and trying to figure out what to do next. And that kind of was this whole idea of realizing that, you know, part of the reason we messed up on Wall Street was this, it was this overly quantitative approach that didn't really take into account the people. 
the people at the other end of the, you know, the people yeah, at the at the end of the chain. <laughs> Uh, you know, they're just blips on a screen at Wall Street and behind the blips are, are people. And so it started kind of drilling down and getting towards the people. So, so, so then, you know, obviously you left Wall Street and, and um, I, I'm going to assume you saved enough money where you felt you're, you're going to be comfortable. You're not going to need anyone financially in terms of supporting yourself and your family. But then you decided to take the walking, I guess, as a full-time, how do you decide where to, like, you know, what is it? What do, do you, I'll tell you my observation from, from reading Dignity, which I'm going to tell, I really would love everyone to read it. My impression as a reader, I felt you wanted me to know the real America. What I felt you, you, I realized there was a lot of addiction and about, you're talking about the addiction and all of these things, but I did want, I did sense from you as a reader and you're the writer and the photographer that you want me to understand a society that I may never get exposed to. Am I, am I onto something there? Yeah, I mean, that's exactly right. I mean, it, it was kind of like, you know, what, what's frustrating is, and, you know, for those in healthcare, they have a much you know, there's not many, you know, I call, I call myself, I use this division of the front row and back row, basically about education, you know, about the cultural differences, like, you know, if, if, if you got a PhD or, or, or a doctorate or something, you're probably in your, what I'd call in the front row. Um, and we more and more, we in the front row are more and more segregated from, from the average person. <laughs> um, I mean, that's less true in healthcare because you, you know, if you work in an emergency room or you work in a, um, you know, but for somebody in academics, um, for somebody in Wall Street, for lawyers, for politicians, it's very, very easy to, to just completely not know the country you make the rules for. You know, the country you quote, you know, the expert class has a big say in how things are constructed. Um, and, and I, you know, I, I just started realizing during this process you know, part of dignity came out of a, a political process in my mind of, you know, th this wasn't a political book to start with, but this wasn't a political project to start with. It was just kind of a selfish project of me kind of um, being intellectually curious. Um, but it, it took on a political angle when I became very frustrated when I realized that kind of, you know, what, what I call my, my clique, you know, the bankers, the academics, the people I kind of spent most of my, the prior 20, 30 years with didn't understand the country. Like not just in a, like, you know, they'd never been to Portsmouth, Ohio, but they didn't understand people. They didn't understand the people who lived in Portsmouth. They didn't understand normies. They didn't understand like the, the average American um, at a very deep level. They didn't understand. They didn't understand how important faith was to them. They didn't understand how important place was to them. They didn't understand how important family is to them, you know, because we're so busy focusing on our careers and we think everybody is equally focused on their career. Everybody is equally focused on the news. Everybody is equally focused on current events, which is, you know, great. I, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with being focused on that. But that's not how most people operate. Most people are just kind of trying to get by, trying to enjoy life to the degree they can, um, trying to build a family, trying to, you know, do the best they can at, you know, to to be a good a good member of the congregation, to be a good, you know, a good 
to be a good pickup basketball player, to be, you know, just to be, their goals are a lot different than I think we, we think they are. And it was kind of, you know, I was kind of trying to, you know, if I could reframe it now, I kind of want to say, you know, I think a lot of us who are very highly educated tend to look at the average person and think they're weird. I think we're the weird ones, you know what I mean? And there's nothing wrong with being weird, you know, being an academic and being into mathematics. I mean, that's fine, but that's, but you, we, we need to understand that um, we're very different from the average person and that's important to know. As you started, uh, as you started the walking, what was, you, you talk about the real Americans and what was the first thing that you noticed that, surprised you because obviously now now today in 2022 as me and you are talking clearly you have a different vision than when you started in 2012 uh, when you just left wall street and you started on that journey so so as you started on that journey back then what was the first few things that you noticed and said oh my god i really had no idea that this was going on i was kind of one of the you know i was early involved in the quote heroin epidemic so the um I mean, the level of addiction and the level of uh, disruption, like in places like Portsmouth, Ohio, um, just a level of despair um, in places like West Virginia and places like in Milwaukee. Um, I mean, I had always kind of known, like, I mean, like any good liberal, you know, I had kind of always known there was problems in the quote in, you know, Harlem or, or, or Bronx, but I hadn't understand how, how deep the addiction was and how, 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 how um how, how big an influence drugs was in so many of these communities um and then you know the second was um how important faith was I mean, i think the biggest change and it's kind of in some senses why i think i happen to think my book at many levels is very much deeply from the left but it got odd you know but but oddly the book got kind of more applause out of the right which really surprised me and i think part of that was because of the religion angle where i talk very openly about the importance of faith and and, in a very um surprising way to me because i I, you know i jokingly say i started this project um as a vegetarian atheist and i ended up as a (laughs) church-going lover of mcdonald's (laughs) well it's also possible possible that that you bring in I mean, sometimes the left is viewed as really super elite in terms of their uh, look at society and so on, where the right maybe is more in touch with the common American. I don't know which one is right or not, but I think it's possible that you brought in a level of truthness to real America that that resonated with the right more. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I mean, uh, look, I mean, the role of faith and how important it is, and that's not just about going to church. That's about how faith informs the worldview, how it kind of places them in, in, in the world. I mean, that's really the, one of the biggest differences between what I call the front row and the back row. Uh, you know, I think the professional class kind of, to the degree they can ever appreciate faith, um, it's kind of as a as almost an insulting way of saying, well, the poor need religion because, you know, they don't got anything else, so they need religion. There's almost this kind of utilitarian function, <laughs> um, but not as something that actually is deeply important um, or possibly true. Um, 
to the level that you can you can something can be true um and i think the third thing um i would say um um going back to things that alert was one of the mcdonald's which i became kind of slightly known as as the mcdonald's guy um how important mcdonald's is <laughs> you know um and the role it plays in some of these communities is almost um, community centers you know you know you go at, you spend your time in these very you know at the surface level very dysfunctional communities where things aren't aren't open things aren't working and one of the few the, the, the two things that are open and working are mcdonald's and churches <laughs> you know like and i think you know you know one of, one of the things i used to say and i don't i used to say is like if you know I, I don't do a lot of policy i'm not a policy person i'm not a you know i i, I don't get involved in but i used to say that you know man if you know one of the things i found myself doing when i was working with people who are at the very lowest margins of society was sitting at McDonald's with them, helping them fill out forms, you know, going through using my computer to help them navigate, you know, <laughs> healthcare systems or help them detox centers or the bureaucratic paperwork that's required just, you know, to, to get services when you're poor. Um, you know, and so I used to say, it was like, if, if I was a social worker, I, I would have a Thursday night at McDonald's where I would just sit there with a, with a computer and just help people, you know, do, you know, all the things that are complicated when you're poor, um, all the, you know, all the paperwork necessary to get help. Um, and so, you know, the McDonald's is, is, you know, it's just really because it's a, it's a place that doesn't kick people out in general. I mean, some places do, but by and large, it's kind of one of those places where you can escape, where people on the margins can escape from the cold or the heat and uh, kind of main, gain a moment of dignity by just sitting there and being left alone, as it were. That's uh, give you. That's the title of the book, Dignity. That's where it came yeah. from. As you did these walks. Um, I'm curious to see what your political observation became, uh, because you labeled yourself as a liberal uh, politically. And as you started going across towns, across the countries and across the cities, um, two questions. Number one, I still want to know how you pick where you're going to go. Like, for example, am I going to go to Columbus, Ohio? Am I going to go to uh, Chicago, Illinois, or you know, Gary, uh, Indiana? Um, how you decide where to go. And then as you started going to these towns and these cities, as somebody who you label yourself as a liberal, did you notice, how, how was your, describe to me just the political landscape and the observation that you've actually seen as you walked through America? Um, I, I'm still a geek at heart. So I, I spent, in terms of how I chose, was very was also informed by a lot of database. I mean, I, I I wanted to get once this became kind of like a project. Um, I realized that I wanted to get kind of a snapshot of poverty in America, and so I actually looked at the you know the data. What is poverty in America? How much of it's rural? How much of it's urban? Um, how much of it's black? How much of it's white? How much is Latino? And so I tried to kind of get a, represent, a representation, a cross-section of America by looking at rural poverty or urban poverty, um, you know, black poverty, white poverty, um, and then also uh, geographically. I try to hit every part of the country. 
Um, and I focused on places, towns that I felt like, you know, were knowable in a way, uh, you know, places I could, I could spend a week in and get a sense of, or speak or, or 10 days and get a sense of places that, you know, could, and, and that's also how I chose the neighborhoods too, as places like, you know, I, I, I spent a lot of time, for instance, in El, in El Paso and, and, uh, and uh, LA, but the parts of LA I spent into was basically two neighborhoods. You know, LA is massive, but I spent basically a month in two neighborhoods to get to know something, to, get, to be able to really understand, you know, um, um, this one this one area. So, um, and also I spent a lot of time, you know, there were like three maps I looked at a lot. One was a poverty map of the United States. The other is a, an addiction map of the United States. And the third was... Um, um, uh, the third was um, basically, I think it was the after it was like the voting, the voting maps, you know, look, precinct levels. So I could get a kind of fair representation of, of political America, um, racial America, and, 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 and kind of get a sense of, you know, and so for instance, I, I spent, I spent a fair amount of time, uh, like a week in Utah, because Utah didn't fit anything else. Utah, relative to a lot of other places, you know, didn't fit the the, the picture. It was, it was it was poor, but there wasn't as much addiction relative to, to other places. So I wanted to figure out what was going on there. So there was a lot. I spent a lot of time looking at maps <laughs> um, and trying to figure out, you know. And then there was just the you know. Then there was also the, the logistics of driving. Um, you know, how, how, what, what's the most I can get out of six weeks drive across the country, you know, what places can I hit? And then, you know, things changed over time. Like I'd be Gary, Indiana, which is a place that I absolutely am fascinated by and love, um, and keep going back to, um, and, and is in my book is a place that I was literally driving. I have, my daughter lives in my middle, my oldest daughter lives in Wisconsin. So I was visiting her. And when you, when you drive by there, you see Gary and I'm like, that place really struck me. And I, I stopped there to, you know, get gas. And then I marked it like, you know, literally I had a list in my car, like, you know, Gary, go back and circled it. <laughs> and then, so, you know, I, it just is visually struck me as well as a photographer, it just visually struck me. And so, you know, you, end, I end up doing kind of like, and I still have a running list of like, you know, basically now that I'm walking, more than driving, I have a list of like, you know, 15 towns I, I, I want to walk. And that list keeps changing as I see things, think things, you know, um, build things. So it's always kind of a work in progress. Um, in terms of the politics, you know, I think my journey has been court from the left towards the right. And I don't really have a, I don't have a camp anymore. I'm kind of like, you know, kind of politically homeless, like a lot of people, but it was certainly was, and a lot of that came from what I saw. One was, you know, what kind of what you alluded to in the past, which is for a lifelong Democrat, it was very hard for me to admit that my that the party I, I, I came from seemed to be more out of touch <laughs> with the people they claimed to advocate for. Um, and that that yeah, came that that I saw in terms of um, you know, just dealing with people. Um, you know, you know, I think, I think the people, I think we on the left, and I, I include myself as someone there, I, I still have a leg in the left, tend to kind of have this idea of the, of the working class that just isn't who they are, you know, um, and um, you can either say, well, they should be that way, <laughs> 
you know, when you, when you, or you can say, well, they're not that way. Maybe, maybe I'm the one who's, who's got it wrong. Maybe if I claim to believe that, you know, uh, we should, we should think about their views and their views matter. And, you know, and you just gotta, you gotta, you gotta change your mind based on that. I want to still, I want to still talk to you about the politics just a little bit. And then I want to try to pivot to healthcare a little bit, but uh, I, I'm also, before I talk a little about politics, um, I am um, amazed by how good the uh, pictures in the book are and the photography. Um, is this, uh, did you get like any formal um, training in that with just complete hobby that you fostered? Because the pictures, really you bring it to life. Like I could totally tell that this, these people are in church or they're at McDonald's. They're just amazing. How did this um, come about? Well, first of all, thank you. I'm very proud of my photos, but I don't, um, yeah, I mean, I'm self-taught photographer, but it's something that I've been doing, you know, off and on all my life. Um, like I said, I, I was really into photography in college. Um, when I first got to Wall Street, I was really into photography, um, you know, real old professional cameras with film, darkroom and all that. And then, you know, I, I lost interest in it. Um, partly because of the digital revolution. And I didn't really like the digital revolution. I had trouble moving to digital. Um, but then again, like I think in 2007, it was 2006, a friend gave me their old digital camera and um, kind of went from there. Um, I, I then immediately bought a professional level digital camera. Um, and was, you know, in some senses, the project began with, as a phot photography project, but I've, I've kind of stepped that back and try to put more and more of the, the, the writing more central to, than the photography, but I still put a lot of work in my photography. Um, now I, I actually, now I use an iPhone to take pictures um, for a variety of reasons. I, I mean, I'm a, I'm a camera snob, so it kind of hurts sometimes to use the iPhone because the quality just isn't the same. Um, I miss the professional level photography, but, but, you know, dignity is the, the photos and dignity all come from um, a professional camera. Um, but the photos I'm using now for my kind of walks around the world are coming from the iPhone, which I'm going to change. I'm going to, I'm going to move back to a higher level camera, but yeah, I mean, photo, photos are really important to me. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, um, uh, as I said, I want to go back to politics and then I will pivot to, uh, to healthcare. I got to tell you, um, and by the way, I mean, your book I read uh, a couple of years ago when it came out, it came in 2019, I believe, right? Or Yeah, I believe so. Yeah. Uh, I have a habit of actually uh, uh, highlighting certain things that I actually like. And sometimes I tweet these and I put them on Twitter. One of the things that uh, I highlighted in your book and I'll read that verbatim. It says, we had compassion for those left behind, but thought that our job was to provide them an opportunity, no matter how small, to get where we were. We didn't think about changing our definition of success. It didn't occur to us that what we valued, getting more education and owning more stuff, wasn't what everyone else wanted. I, I highlighted this. This is, this is so spot on, man. Unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, you know, that was one of the, again, that was one of the big kind of, you know, I, as a, as a former physicist, you talked about kind of 
changes I had over the time. I call them wave function collapses, you know, kind of things where the, like, I'm like, ah, <laughs> it's like, you know, if you're on an intellectual journey, it's like you, you just peel and you, you find a new truth. And that rec recognition that, you know, education wasn't everything, you know, it's something that's hard for me to, to have to have admitted or realized because, you know, even though I came from a, a, a working class town, my parents were both, my father was a professor, you know, my mother was a librarian, you know, we were, it never occurred to me not to get a PhD. Almost everybody in, you know, you know, almost everybody I know um, around me or, you know, my wife, my, um, my, my circle of banker friends, my circle of PhD physics friends, you know, obviously education, 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 education. But I would also say at, at every level, our, our system, our, our society, you know, guidance counselors, get education, get education, get education, looking great, get education, that's great. You know, I, I would never tell somebody not to pursue as much education as they can, but we have to, have to recognize that, you know, that's not the end all to be all for everybody. There's a lot more to life than that. And so, I mean, there's a reason I, there's a reason I chose the metaphor of the classroom, the front row, back row, because it really does, you know, we're, we really do have kind of an ed educational meritocracy at this point where it really is kind of like, you know, I used to say that, you know, we're, we're, we're as a culture right now, we're, we're striving to limit every, every ism, every difference, racism, or highlight every difference, but education is one where educational differences are one that's celebrated, <laughs> you know, it's kind of like, you're allowed to call someone dumb if they don't have a lot of education, that's somehow not wrong, you know, so it's kind of like, we've replaced all these kind of inequalities, we've replaced all these things saying all these inequalities are bad with uh, this inequality that we celebrate, which is one of how much education do you have? Yeah. So, so then as you, you know, been walking for a while, you obviously throughout the walks, you've gone through a lot of political changes between different presidents that were running against each other, different, again, uh, uh, election cycles and so on. Um, so you've gone through, you were walking during the time where, for example, President Obama was running for re-election in 2012. And you were walking when uh, Trump was running also in 2016. And you were walking when uh, Trump was also going against Biden in 2020. And uh, I promise my listeners, I'm going to pivot to the pandemic in a little bit. And I'm going to talk about Russia as well. But I'm curious, as you walked through these three elections, did you predict, for example, that in 20? 12, Obama is going to win re-election. Did you predict Trump is going to win in 2016? Did you predict Trump is going to lose in 2020? I kind of got all three of those right. I mean, I didn't really pay much attention to the 2012 um, election, to be honest. I was, um, I mean, I was still, you know, I, it was interesting. It, it, somehow when I was a banker, I was less political than I am now, <laughs> um, you know, but um the 2016 was the one where I, in some senses, you know, to the degree I have any fame or I got a book deal, it was largely responsible for the fact that I was one of the few people on Twitter, certainly one of the few people on the left saying, oh, my God, I think Trump's going to win here. Um, and I, I, I kind of had said it as a warning, you know, and uh, or as a, you know, I, and um, in some senses, you know, nobody wants to be 
you know, it was, it was one of those things where I kept saying, you know, it was just so, it wasn't obvious he was going to win, but it was obvious that it wasn't going to be, it was, it wasn't going to be a slam dunk for Clinton by, by any stretch of the imagination that, that, that this was a real almost coin flip. Um, you know, you just saw the, I just saw the energy out there. Like, you know, I, I saw the anger um, coupled with the energy and cu- coupled with the distaste for Hillary. There was just an absolute distaste for her. And so the, you know, it was kind of like, I didn't care what the polls said. The energy was just there. You just, you know, you, polls are one thing because, but vote, you know, people have to actually physically go vote and physically go vote is about enthusiasm. And there was just a huge enthusiasm gap. Um, and I was less positioned for this latest election because like a lot of people, I was kind of, um, I wasn't as much, I didn't really get out. I didn't start getting out into the country again until I got vaccinated, um, which was, um, um, but but I, I, I wasn't surprised at all. That, I mean, I, I thought, I, I still think that Trump lost, not for all the reasons the media wanted him to lose, but I think he's lost because of his COVID policy. I think, you know, COVID is everything. And, you know, politically COVID is everything. And almost anybody who's running for office during COVID, while COVID is, is still there, while COVID, you know, is still limiting what they can do, um, is going to be voted out. So I think, um, I think, you know, Biden won because, you know, people believed his, you know, he's going to, he was going to stop the virus sort of thing. He's going to, he's going to bring a little bit more rationality to the whole process. So, so, so 2022 mid, mid, midterm election is in 10 months. Uh, Biden has been in office for about uh, over a year. And there's also 2024 elections. You are back walking. Um, and um, what are your thoughts? Do you think that uh, the people are happy, satisfied? What does America think in your opinion? Um, I mean, you know, predictions this far ahead. Too <laughs> early, too early. Yeah, but 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 the Democrats are toast. <laughs> I mean, in twenty twenty two, I mean, it's going to be ugly um, unless something dramatically changes with COVID. It's going to be really ugly. Um, Why do you say I that? Mean, Why do you say that? Um, COVID is everything, um, you know. And there are two things going on. I wrote a piece called "The Democrats Are Toast." Um, and it's basically two things, which is, you know, the way people deal with politics, again, you know, us news junkies are the weirdos. Most people, you know, don't really know what's going on. And that's fine, but you you can't be detached from COVID policy. COVID policy, COVID policy has touched everybody through the school system, through the masking, through everything. It's touched everybody. Um, and so has inflation. Inflation's touched everybody. Those two things are considered to be strikes against whoever's in charge. Biden's in charge, so you know, two strikes, man. Um, two big, two big, big, big strikes. Um, you know, it's quite simple. They let people elected Biden because he said, you know, they want to return to normalcy. Whatever, you know, whatever you think about Trump, it was a. It was a crazy period, <laughs> partly because of COVID, partly because of Trump. Um, they wanted normalcy. It hasn't returned. Um, you know, you can blame him. You can blame COVID. I don't know, but it's not there. And so um, I think Biden is finally, Biden's team is finally starting to figure that out. And I think they're kind of doing their best. To, I mean, 
you know, I think the, the these are all over word use phrases and whatever, but, you know, I was, I, again, I was one of the first to say, it's now pretty standard to say this, but I think, you know, the bulk of the country, the bulk of the country has done what they're supposed to do. They've gotten vaccinated, they've gotten boosted if they're above a high risk. You know, people, and I'm talking about people over the age of 50 here. And um, then they're, they're done. You know, okay, <laughs> that's it. <laughs> yeah. I've done what I've been told. Um, it's the right thing to do. I'm, I'm, I'm going back to having my life. Yeah. Um, and so that's where they are. And to the degree they can do that, um, if, if by November 2022, I got, gee, 10 months now? If, yeah, it's about 10, if, it's 10 months from now, yeah. Yeah, if, if November, if life is normal, you know, um, and it, it feels like you can do whatever you did four years ago without any worry, without any scolding, um, without any supply chain issues, you know, there's a chance Biden can pull it off. I got to tell you, Chris, though, I mean, I think my, my biggest, uh, you know, as, as an observer, and I try to be as depoliticized as possible, I think I've been extremely disappointed with the public health messaging. I mean, I, I recall that a lot of people were blaming Trump for the public health messaging and all of these things. And, and everybody was looking forward to Biden and the public health messaging. And I think the messaging has been at least really awful to citizens and, and, and folks. It's very confusing. The CDC is all over the place. You, like, I, feel, I feel the messaging is very difficult to recover from, but we'll have, we have time to see. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I think the way it's filtered down to the general public, I don't know who to blame, but it's been bad. There's, there's a sense of, and I think particularly amongst the lower class, and I don't mean, and, and this is not a left versus right thing, but I'm talking about the lower class. I'm talking about Latinos, blacks, whites. Um, there's a real sense. I would even say it's more than a sense. It's a real, and I think it's a justified sense that, at all policy has been for the benefit of the elites, the wealthy, been constructed with, with them in mind and has screwed the working class. Um, and they've taken, they've taken all the hits um, at every juncture. And they've been the ones who've been scolded and they've been the ones who've been kind of like, you know, but at every process, it's kind of not thought about them. It's put the elites first. And they're tired of it. They're done. I mean, the, the idea of that you could just sit home and watch Netflix forever is, is kind of like, you know, it's like, okay, no, some people actually can't do that. And one of the things that I'll, I'll say that sometimes strike me is sometimes, you know, you, you cruise through Twitter and you see some of the things and people saying, well, you know what, I'm not going to go home. I'm going to order, I'm going to order everything out and I'm going to even order my groceries in. I'm like, you do know that somebody has to actually, <laughs> like you do realize they just don't appear at your doorstep, right? I'm like, I remember, I remember in, in the first stage when there was a lockdown, when, when, when the lockdown, I, I, I used to I'd jump on Twitter, remind people, I said, you know, there are things called laundry mats, you know, okay. and people need them. <laughs> like, you know, like you can't, you know, the, the kind the first wave of people of wealthy people buying second homes and deep freezers um, versus, you know, people I know in the Bronx who live in fourth floor walk-ups with three generations and eight people sharing one bathroom, man. And then we close the parks. We close the parks. Like, but, you know, again, at every level, it just feels like, you know, you go into, 
it's interesting because I spend time around everybody. Um, and the whole between, you know, I, I'm pretty, look, I, I'm pretty, um, I try not to piss anybody off. I just try to do what when in Rome do as the Romans. So like I've been in situations where, you know, people get yelled at for wearing a mask. <laughs> I've been in situations where people get yelled at for not wearing a mask. So it's like, it's just like, I, I just try to do whatever, like if I, if everybody's masked, I'm masked. If no one's masked, I'm not masked. Like, you know, um, so it's just kind of one of these things where it's become very politicized. And it's, and I, I just think that the working class rightfully feels like they've been on the short end of every policy. Um, they've been asked to bear the brunt of it all while everybody else has escaped, you know, relatively um, without, without a lot of, lot of damage done. And so I think they're just sick of it. They're just done. They're completely, utterly done. And I think, you know, some of that, some of that kind of bad messaging and some of that sense of having been wronged is partly why you have the anti-vax crowd. And, you know, I wrote a piece about, it's called Among the Unvaccinated, about how, how, um, how deeply entrenched the, the vaccine skepticism is among a, a core group of people. Um, and it, it's, 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 it's frustrating um, because, um, you know, I, I'm not so sure there's anything you can do to reach people at this point yeah. because the trust is broken. Do, do you, I mean, you, you've walked so many places in America. Do you, do you ever get scared for your safety? I mean, you go some, some places, I'm like, oh my goodness, Chris, do you have a gun? Like what's going on? No, I'm, I'm pretty, um, you know, I, I'm pretty, um, it's not like I, I, I also don't take crazy chances. You know I mean? I do, <laughs> I, I do kind of, um, I guess at this point, I know how to operate in certain places. Um, I always say that the key, like, first of all, uh, I, I, going back to the idea of being, wanting to stay in cheap motels, is I, I don't have like, you know, there, there are times I barely look, look, I barely look beyond homeless myself. Um, <laughs> you know, I mean, I, 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 you know, I don't shave, I have long hair. I, I, I got, and that's know, in, I, that's in. Uh, well, yeah, but I wear the same clothes for three days, you know, um, and that, you know, when I, when I travel overseas, for instance, I, I have, you know, I, tra- I pack absurdly light. I have two changes of everything. And I wash my, my one, I have two, two outfits, you know, and I, I wash the one in the sink at night um, to, to, to continually wear it. And I do the same thing on the road. I mean, I, I have like, you know, <laughs> four shirts that I wear over and over and over. So it's not like I, I look like I'm, <laughs> I'm a particularly appealing target. Um, um, so, you know, and, and, and then, so there's that, and I, I, I've never had a watch. I don't have jewelry, um, you know, um, but also it's kind of, a, you know, I also say that it's how you operate. I really do believe like, you know, I always say if you um, be confident without being arrogant, like if, if you're clearly scared, that's like, you know, that's like blood in the water. Um, and if you're, an, if you're an arrogant dick, you're also asking for trouble. Yeah. So it's kind of a combination of just be confident without being arrogant. And also, you know, I back down if like, you know, like I, I, you know, if somebody wants to kind of be more manly than me, fine, you win. You know, I don't really care. <laughs> so your last trip was to Kiev, to, to Russia. And I followed this religiously on Twitter. I have actually a lot of Russian friends. I have a lot of friends also from, from Ukraine. 
Um, and I want to, um, you know, it, it was a lot of fun to see the pictures because they were not necessarily glamorous pictures. I felt I was actually watching the real Kiev as opposed to not watching the, the uh, uh, you know, the most elite places. Um, a, why did you pick Kiev? Um, and B, um, I really, I got to tell you, one of my favorite posts that you put on was when you were mentioning about that um, uh, the U.S. talking about the tension with Russia and almost war and so forth. And then you put like a short clip of uh, the Ukrainians uh, skating and they're like, yeah, <laughs> I, I laughed so hard. I literally was LOL. Uh, I'm like, that was pretty good. That was classic, Chris. <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, how, why I chose Kiev, I, 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 you know, combination of really cheap flight. Um, you speak Russian? Do you speak Russian? No, none. Um, but but. I'm uh, one of my, you know, what my biggest weakness in life is I don't languages. Um, I'm dyslexic. I can barely speak English, <laughs> um, uh, but um, I can't learn languages at all, which is very frustrating. But um, I had gone to Bucharest in December. Um, I really like Bucharest. Um, why I went to Bucharest is just, you know, I had always been interested in Romania, um, but I kind of got stir crazy. I was at home and I was planning to stand here all January. And my wife looked at me and goes, you're, you're, you're you need to get out of the house. Go. <laughs> so I just go, you know, I had spent a lot of time looking at maps. I was, when I was in Bucharest, I was trying to think of places to go. Um, and I, Kiev popped up and I Google street viewed it. looked interesting to walk. Um, but also it was just cheap flights. I found like a, I found like a round trip for like $380. <laughs> you know? And I'm like, um, I, I spent lots of time looking for cheap flights and, um, you know, and then there was also all the hubbub of like, oh my God, Russian invasion. I, I'm, you know, I've been doing this long enough to know when there's like a big, you know, when, when the state department tells you not to do something, it's, it's usually wrong, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like this is the time to do it. Yes, exactly. Um, which is partially why it was cheap, I think. And, um, I found an extraordinarily cheap um, um, apartment to rent for a few weeks. And so I went, you know, and um, I also really like being in places like, you know, like Kiev during the winter. Like if, you, if you're going to, you know, if you're going to go to Kiev, go during the winter. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know, like, It's pretty interesting. You were even arguing with somebody on Twitter. Like he was saying, as like, why are you going to Kiev in the winter? And he said, I like the cold. Okay. I yes. like the cold. <laughs> yeah. And I like the cold. But it's, it, you know, it's kind of like, you know, <laughs> you know, if you, you know, if you like this, just go all the way, man. <laughs> like if, if you like X, do triple X. <laughs> so, um, you know, like, so, but also the other reason is, is one of the things I've been really fascinated by both in Bucharest and Kiev is kind of the Soviet era apartment complexes, the planned communities, which is, which is, I'm actually writing my Kiev piece right now, is what I'm writing about, this kind of, the planned community that's up in the north, northeast of, northeast of Kiev, it's on the east side of the river, that's a part of Kiev I spent most of the time in, these kind of, I, I can't pronounce the name of the neighborhood, I forget it, I was just, I just wrote it down, but um, it's kind of, their version of the suburbs, or the planned community that are all these uh, um I think it was Kuschev. I think it was um, it was, it was Brezhnev era uh, apartment complexes. You can photograph them better with no trees, no leaves on the trees. Um, so in the winter, 
you got kind of the you got better chances to take the pictures and i hadn't realized that's not why i'd gone to bucharest in the, in the cold but then it was one of the things that struck me is wow i can actually really see the cityscape without the trees um better and, I, and kind of so uh, that's partially why i went to kiev um, but it was the cheap flight really helped and so you're like yeah you know i mean i wasn't surprised I had I I was never worried about going, even though a lot of people told me to be worried. I mean, I've been doing this long enough that I know, like when when the U.S. State Department and Biden and all these people say, you know, Dave or whatever, it's like, you know, man, like <laughs> it's gonna be okay. <laughs> like the most surreal thing was there was there was a skate. There, I was at the mall there with ice skating on the night when I was just like, so it's really weird to be in Kiev and like, you know, you, I, I'm active on Twitter, unfortunately, but looking at the Twitter, oh, good. you've got the hundred, almost a hundred thousand followers. I'm looking at it like, you know, doing like looking at Twitter at this stuff. And then it's like, just seeing the dialogue, like I'm in a war zone apparently. And like, there's people skating here. <laughs> like I would have had no fucking clue anything was going on if it wasn't like there wasn't anything going on. And so my last night in Kiev was again, like the state department issued this order for all people to get out, like all Americans to get out, you know, we're going to all non-essential state department employees have to leave all family. And like, and I'm sitting there looking at my phone going, fuck, because this means that the airport's going to be crowded. Like, you know what I mean? I don't like, like, I don't, you know, it, it's like 10 o'clock at night. I'm at my favorite bar, which is a beer and fish bar. And I'm like, Oh God. And I have a six, I have to get up at six. And I'm like, you know, I should probably just go home and sleep because the airports can be crowded with, you know, like all these people trying to get out um, because they quote have to get out. Um, and instead I, instead I go to another bar, which is where they're doing karaoke till three in the morning. <laughs> and like, I'm sitting in this bar with a bunch of, you know, Ru Ukrainians doing karaoke, you know, and looking at Twitter saying, Oh, there's going to be a Russian invasion. I'm like, Oh, there's not. <laughs> Crazy. Uh, th then you you also you know you 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 purposely like to ride buses, buses and like oh, I absolutely train. love buses. Yeah, yeah, I absolutely love. Um, what, so one of the things I do when I walk into town is I I have to use public transportation. I, I refuse to take cabs, um, and so part is like some of my walks are big circles, but most of them are also I just end end at a place. And I'm like, okay, time to get home. How are you gonna get home? um and that generally means taking buses um and i absolutely love the i think it's called i think in kiev they're called marushkas or marshrushkas i forget i forget the name they're basically hack hack buses um so they're you know they're not the official lines they're not the official city buses they're just guys who get a bus and run the route of the bus <laughs> and you know the buses themselves the official buses are cheap enough i mean they're eight eight whatever the currency is so it, they're basically um, um eight eight out of 28 is what roughly 30 cents right to, to get a bus anywhere or a metro these are 10 so they're like 35 cent but you just toss your 35 cent piece uh, onto the carpet they have at front and that's it and you and you just cram in with everybody else and i really like them because they decorate them um you know I, i'm sure they're not particularly safe i'm sure they're not regulated <laughs> hey. so so um 
two things and I promise I'll let you go. I, I can't, I, I'm, I just want to keep talking to you for the next two hours. I, I, it's, it's hard to let you go um, because I, I'm enjoying this. So I'm being very selfish here. Oh, go ahead. Keep them going. I'm, I'm fine. But, but um, um, so when's, where's your next trip? How what, uh, International and local. Where are you going internationally and locally? Because you did put a post asking people to vote where you should go. I thought that was very interesting. You were asking Peru or like a, you put four choices. I forgot what I voted for you. I said, I said either Quito, Quito, Ecuador, Lima, um, Minsk, Belarus. Oh, I voted for Minsk. I voted. Yeah, I I wanted, I kind of wanted Minsk to win, but Minsk didn't win and Lima won. So I'm going to go to Lima. Um, I actually, what I really wanted to do was uh, La Paz, but, um, uh, Bolivia, but it's 13,000 feet, which would be tough. Um, but my father was also from Bolivia. So I kind of want to go to Bolivia, but, um, the flight flight connections of Bolivia are not easy. Like it is, it, it's complicated to get to La Paz. Um, and I, I only had a short amount of time because of, of, of kit family issues. So I only had 12 days. Um, I couldn't use three of them traveling. So I'm going to go to Lima. Um, but it would all, Lima also won. Um, when are you going? When are you going? I'm going in March. Um, so I'm going to do Lima, but before then um, I'm going to do, um, I'm going to kind of, I'm, my, my goal is basically to do like 10 U S cities and like five international cities. Um, that's kind of what I think I can do. Um, I'm going to do a lot more U S cities around the election. Cause I'm probably going to work with one of the, some website, on the on the 2020 elections so i'll be doing stuff more around november august and november in the u.s can i bring you back during the elections just for one more time yeah yeah sure um i'm happy um i'm happy to um but um i'm gonna go to um i'm gonna go to jacksonville i'm leaving saturday for jacksonville um i'm gonna do jacksonville florida and i'm gonna do uh charleston south carolina um those are the i'm gonna do that i'm gonna basically do a two-week trip a week in jacksonville a week in charleston and um then i come home and then i'm gonna fly to peru and then i come home and i'm probably gonna do after that three more u.s cities i'm not sure where um um, i may break my rule i I think i think you should come to chicago actually you know i wasn't my daughter lives in chicago um I was in Chicago and um, it has changed a lot. And I really think you would, you would. I have four walks I want to do in Chicago. I already have them mapped out. Um, I, I, when I, when I went to visit my daughter in Chicago in um, when was it March or no, no, no. When was it? Um, October. I think it was. Uh, I, um, I did walk from downtown. Um, I had intended to go North, but that was boring. So um, I walked, (laughs) I walked basically wet due West towards uh, O'Hare um um i think i went i forget that i maybe 14th street maybe i went across there's just i all i remember whatever street i walk i walk through little ukrainia yep. um, but i i went to this the thing the highlight of my my trip was um there's this old western mexican western wear store um at kind of west of downtown um that absolutely I loved. It was kind of near. I get. What's it? What's it called? Little Ukraine. Little Ukraine. Is that was Ukrainian village. Yeah, near Ukrainian village. This is a Western worst. I, uh, I, I now now that I've been in Ukraine, I kind of want to go back to Ukrainian village. Um, but I, I mean, I kind of walked out west, and, and then um, I ended up uh, making some miscalculations. But um, 
so yeah when i do big cities like um like i did dc recently i, I it, 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 you can't really do the whole city you kind of got to do a neighborhood you kind of you know and obviously one of my walks i want to do is basically from downtown to gary that's one walk I oh wow do. that's just so, that's that's a walk i really was going to do and i just didn't have the time to do it um I mean, so I would walk basically from downtown to Gary, and then the other walk is basically from downtown to O'Hare, and then the third walk is from downtown to basically, um, uh, I think it's a, there's some suburb in the north. Um, um, and so th those, th those are kind of three walks. Yeah, you will need to let me know when you're here because I definitely <laughs> would want to see you in person. Yeah. Um, any book in your future, new book? No, not really. I mean, I, I did write a novel when I was um, during COVID. I wrote a novel about banking. Um, I got I got to finish writing. The, I mean, I got to clean that up and get it published. Um, um, so I I did. Uh, I need to write a fourth draft to to clean it up before publishing it. So, um, but I, I, that's been sitting on the back burner because I've been kind of like um, I got too close to it. And I need some distance to to see the to to fix it. You know, to, to fix it. Is it uh, like true story or fiction? It's fiction. Um, it was basically kind of, um, you know, it was my first chip. I like a lot of people, you know, I realized I was going to be stuck inside for like six months. And so I decided to write fiction, you know, to give it a shot. I, I really, uh, you know, uh, as, as a reader, I, I, I think there's another book for you for like international. I think there's, it's, um, it would be great to have some photography and just a little bit of observation of the international travel and bring it home in terms of contrasting to U.S. versus non-U.S. for especially in the pandemic. I mean, I, I just wonder. I think the pandemic brings so many things that um, I would say think about it. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm kind of doing that. So each of my what I do on my Substack is I try to write an essay about each of the cities. And the, the the essays on um on the foreign foreign cities are basically turning into that, they're turning into kind of kind of a compare and contrast to the U.S. Um, you know, after Lima, I I I'll, I'm going to do hopefully this summer I'm going to go to Asia. Um, and um, um, and I I got a lot of, I got basically five international cities I want to do before the end of the year. Um, but uh, it, try to try to balance kind of like you know again try to balance geography. I don't want to do too many Eastern European, too many too many African, too many um, Latin American cities. So, but oh well, I uh, look. This is really uh, this is amazing. First of all, I definitely want to bring you back if your time allows uh, close to November because by then you would have walked a lot. I'm I am. Uh, I was never into politics, I'll admit, but um, um, your book, Dignity, as well as some of the observation I've been seeing in terms of the out-of-touch people with Real America have made me very interested in what's going to happen in 2022 uh, in the midterm elections. So that's why I would be very curious in your observations um, in about nine months or so. It's hard to believe it's in nine months. It's like we're, we're February already. Yeah, I know. Um, it's kind of disappointing. <laughs> Why? Um, I don't know. Politics, I, politics is getting, I, I'm starting to see you're getting into politics and I'm getting bored by politics. So uh, um, I know, uh, but you know, I mean, I, I, I think um, what got me a little bit interested in it is the policy of COVID just got me really. Right. Boy, Chris, it's, it's been really such a treat to have you uh, on my podcast. I, it's my home. Well, thank you. And I'm, I'm more than happy to come back and um, um, you know, uh, 
you just send me send me a message when you want to, and I'll, I'll happily do another hour some other time. Absolutely, absolutely, and and you know because you you know I need to uh, make sure I have to send you the uh, T-shirt of the Healthcare Unfiltered podcast. So I'll I'll get your address after we just uh, get off the air. Well, Chris right. Nadi, thank you so much for coming on Healthcare Unfiltered. Thank you so much for having me, and take care, and, and thank you everybody for listening. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate your support and tuning in. Watch all of the podcast episodes on YouTube, Shadi Naban and Healthcare Unfiltered. And do not forget to rate, subscribe, and refer a friend or a colleague to the podcast. Write a brief review. Writing a brief review to the podcast is going to help. Many folks find the podcast. If you like this episode, let your friends and colleague know about that. That will be Amazing. I'll be forever grateful. Direct message me on Twitter at Chadi Nabhan uh, or send me an email and let me know how I am doing. I'm going to ask Chris to come back on this show close to the midterm elections to talk walking America and politics. Before I let you go, I'm going to leave you with a saying from Winston Churchill. You have enemies? Good. That means you've stood up for something sometime in your life. Until next time.